Building a meaningful relationship requires quality time and communication. This is the ninth message in the series, Whose Friend Are You? This message is entitled, Create Relationship Space. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Are you ready to study the Bible tonight? Good. Grab your Bibles, if you will, and also, or your, uh, your church app, as all the notes will be on the church app as well uh, for us this weekend as we continue our series together entitled, Whose Friend Are You? We're going to dive right in tonight. Uh, we have actually this message and one more message that will uh, conclude this series. We have some exciting messages over the summer that we're planning for you. We'll let you know more about that in the upcoming days. But we have two messages this weekend and next weekend to conclude the series entitled, Whose Friend Are You? I want to talk to you tonight about creating relationship space. This will be perhaps one of the most practical messages in this series uh, that I'm going to give to you. I hope all of them are very practical, but what I do want to share with you tonight, I think you'll be able to actually go home and put to use right away and begin to utilize it in your life. And I'm so glad the Bible teaches us how to handle every realm of life, including our relationships. As I've said to you before, as a part of this series, apart from your relationship with God, the second most important thing in your life will be your relationships with people. Jesus was asked the question one day, what is the most important commandment of all? And Jesus said, here it is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so there Jesus made it very clear that relationship with God, loving God and loving people really is what it's all about. And so if we're not growing in our love for God, and if we're not growing in our love for people, then obviously we're missing the very essence of what it really means to be a Christ follower. And so in this series, we're talking about how do you love people better? How do you get better at relationships? How do you upgrade all the relationships of your life? As I've said to you, as a part of this uh, entire time together, as we've gone through these eight lessons so far, again, now this is the ninth one in the series, I've reminded you that the best way to have good relationships is for you to be a good person. The better you are as a person, the more you grow yourself, the more attractive you'll be to other people, and the more of the right kind of people will show up in your life. The worst thing that you can do is not to give any attention to yourself, and I promise you, if you're not giving any attention to you, you're going to attract the wrong kind of people. You want to be a growing person, so you'll attract growing people and the right kind of people in your life. And one of the things that is essential if you're going to be a growing person is you have to learn something about this whole idea of, of giving place for or space for relationships. Our lives are very busy. I'm going to talk about that more in just a moment about the busyness of life. I think all of us would admit, admit that we have lots of things going on, and as we're having all these different activities and responsibilities in life, it's easy if we're not careful to push relationships down to a lower priority. And so when we do that, obviously you can't have good relationships if you're pushing them out of your life, if you're not making space for them, if you're not creating space or creating time for the relationships of your life. Obviously, this involves every realm of your life. It includes your relationship with God. If you don't spend time with God, you're never going to grow in your relationship with God. That's why being in service this weekend is such a vital part of what you've made a choice to. You've said, I want to get to know God better. One of the ways you do that is by being in the house of God as you begin to worship and study God's Word. And then it translates into your everyday life that you spend time with Him as well. So I want to give you, as I start this, this evening, this weekend, I want to talk to you about some 
some, some foundational things and then some practical things, but I want you to see that this idea of giving time and giving space to relationships is very biblical. Let's start with Jesus and his relationship with God the Father. Jesus always made sure that he had time for his relationship with God. Take a look at this, if you will. Mark chapter 1, verse, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he did what? He prayed. When he prayed, who was he talking to? He was talking, obviously, to his father. Luke 5, verse 15, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places, and what did he do? He prayed. Here's what you see is Jesus gave time to, he made space for his relationship with God. Luke chapter 6, see what this says. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and what does it say he did? He spent the night praying to God. Then out of that night of prayer, when morning came, he called his 12 disciples and chose 12 of them who called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he had design, he also designated apostles. Here's what I want you to see from that passage. Jesus didn't make any major decisions in life without spending time with his father. He invested an entire night of prayer before he chose those 12 to be with him. He knew the value of making space or creating space for his relationship with God. But Jesus didn't just make space for his relationship with God. He made space for relationships with people. Take a look at this passage in Matthew chapter 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew, just a, a guy sitting beside the road, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. And so Matthew got up, followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. So What's Jesus going to do? Is Jesus going to say, you know what? I'm really too busy for dinner. I actually am the Messiah. I have lots of things to do and lots of places to go. And so I'm not sure that I can actually work that into to my schedule because I'm a pretty busy guy. No, that's not what he said. In fact, it goes on to say that along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners, he went there and he had dinner with Matthew and all of Matthew's friends. And he spent that evening sharing with them in that setting. I want you to see that Jesus made room for people. Aren't you glad that Jesus made some time? and makes time and room for you in your life. Amen? Take a look at this next verse. Matthew chapter 3, verse 14. He appointed 12, and notice the reason, one of the reasons, that they might be, what? With him, and that he might send them out to preach. Now, we might think that that verse would say he appointed 12, that they might be sent out to preach. That's how we would tend to think of that verse. But no, Jesus is uh, the scripture, Mark adds this by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He appointed 12, first of all, that they might be with him, that's hanging out together, being together, that's space for relationships, and that he might send them out to preach. John chapter 3, verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some... You get starting to get a message here? 
He spent some time with them, and he also baptized as well. Matthew 26, verse 18, he replied, go into the city uh, to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover, how? Not alone, not by myself, but with my disciples at your house. All I'm laying out for you is the idea, the biblical understanding that Jesus not only set apart time for his relationship with God, but he set apart time for his relationship with people as well. This runs all through the gamut of Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, you see the importance of creating relationship space. Even the Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1, verse 11 as he starts this wonderful, wonderful uh, doctrinal book called the book of Romans. He's very personal as he begins it. He's also very personal when he ends it. There's a lot of meat in between as he talks about doctrinal issues, but in the very first chapter, he's very personal. And if you read the last chapter of the book of uh, Romans, he's very personal as well. He talks about all these people that he's gotten to know in his life and he values. And notice what he says in the first chapter, for I long to... What? Not I, didn't, I, I long to preach to you. That's not what he said, right? He said, I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, that's time, that's space. I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want you want to be encouraged by yours. So all throughout these different scriptures that I've given you this evening, there's a theme, and the theme is create relationship space. Say it with me. Create relationship space. Once again, we can do better than that. Create relationship space. Now, what is the first word I ask you to repeat? Create. create. It doesn't happen unless you create it. Say it with me again. Create relationship space. So, what I want to do for these next few moments is to talk to you about how do you do that? How do you actually, we understand that, yes, relationships are important, but how do we create the space? I'm going to give you four lessons, four things that will help you to do this in your life very practically. Number one, you have to find the time. Find time. You have to find time. Find means you actually look for it. You actually have to do some searching. When it comes to talking about creating relationship space, I think a lot of us kind of back away from that a bit, not because we don't want relationships in our life, uh, but because we kind of think we don't have the time for it. And, and I, as I've, uh, the time for building good relationships. As I've talked to people over the years and even observed my own life, I think we all have this tendency to overestimate, or under, I should say this way, underestimate the actual amount of time that we have available in our lives for relationships. Oh, I'm busy doing this, and I'm busy doing that, but we never stop for a moment and say, let me actually get out a pencil and a piece of paper, and let me take a look at actually where I'm spending my time and how I'm spending my time, and 
where there is time available. Just like you would think about your, your financial budget as you open up uh, an Excel sheet or as you get a piece of paper and a pencil, you start saying, this is the income I have and this is where it's going and do I have anything left over? Well, you, you and I have to do a similar kind of thing when it comes to our time. And so I want us to get real for a moment about our time. We all say how busy we are and how many things we have going on. I don't, I don't, uh, I'm certainly not going to argue with you about that. You know your life and how busy you are, but I want us to kind of get really, really real for a few moments. Can we do that? Is this okay? Okay. And so I want to see if we take a look at some facts, if that changes your perspective of how busy you really are. I have some numbers uh, on, my, on my iPad here that I'm going to translate to the board, so excuse me for looking back and forth for a moment, but I want to make sure that I get my numbers right. We have 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and that translates into 168 hours every week. Every week you have 168 hours hours. Nobody has more than that. Nobody has less than that. We're all at the same level when it comes to the amount of time that we have. Now, let's just project for a moment that you're going to get eight hours of sleep uh, over those seven days. So we're going to take out of that 168 hours, you're going to have 56 hours of sleep every week. Some of you are saying, I wish I got 58, 56 hours of sleep every week. But let's just say, uh, for sake of argument here, that you get 56 hours of sleep every week, eight hours a night, seven nights a week. And let's just go ahead and be a, uh, just be a little extravagant here, but let's say you're also going to work 60 hours a week, okay? Now, some of you may work a little more than that. Some of you may work less than that. But let's just let's hit an average of 60 hours a week. Even if you, even if you work 40 hours a week, you've got to drive to work and drive back home. And so there's some commuting time and, that you're going to have. So let's just do a little, little math there. And would, you, would you agree that, that that's a good goal, right? Amen? Eight hours of sleep, seven days a week. That'd be awesome to have. Would you agree that's a decent number to use in terms of work? Can you agree with me on that? Okay. So we've taken out of our 168 hours every week, we've taken out now 116 hours because those are what I would call non-discretionary items. You can't, you, you have to go to work and you're going to die or you're not going to be very effective if you don't sleep. And so you need these things. You can't really make a choice about those things in your life. What you don't necessarily realize is, and we don't often think about is how much time you have left. That is 52 hours every week that you still have left. Think about that for a moment. 52 hours. Hours. If you divide that by seven days a week, then every day you actually have 7.4 hours every day of your week that is not accounted for by either working or sleeping at these rates, okay? So every, every week, you got 52 hours left every week or 7.4 hours left every day in your life that we're going to call at this basic level, we're going to call discretionary time. Now, discretionary time is it's up to your discretion as to what you do with it. Like discretionary money. If you have extra money, you can choose what you're going to do. So everybody has 7.4 hours every day discretionary time. Now, if we do a little bit more math there, that adds up to, if I can see my numbers here, that's about 225 225, let's see if I can get a better writer here, 225 
uh, 0.3, I think it is, hours every month. Think about it, 225 hours every month. Now, let's translate this into dollar figures. Let's just say that every one of those dollars, every one of those hours were worth $20 to you. That would give you an extra income of about $4,500 a month. Anybody could use $4,500 a month, a little extra on the side, right? Okay. But we, we think in terms of the value of money, but we don't think of the value of time, okay? What I'm trying to help you to see today is that just like you value money, actually you need to more highly value time because your time actually is your life. If you ask someone what your life is all about, your life is really your time. Go to the cemetery, they have a date that you are born and a date that you die, and that's the amount of time that you lived. You could add that up, multiply it, figure out how many hours you lived, but the point being is that your life is your time. Your time, indeed, is your life. What I wanna help you to see here is that you have far more time than you realize you have, and the key thing is not just what you do with your non-discretionary time in your life, but what do you do with your discretionary time with your life? People who make wealth financially do it because they spend wisely their discretionary funds. After everything has been paid for, they have a certain amount left over, and they're wise about what they do, and they become financially successful because they invest, they do whatever is necessary with that discretionary money. The same is true in your life. Your life is only going to be as successful as what you do, not just with your discretionary money, but also with your discretionary what? Time. Everybody got that? Do I need to go back over all that again for you? Okay. Very, very important. So what does the Bible say about this? We're actually in church, so let's get to the Bible. This is not a seminar, okay? Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to Number, count, uh, count up, do some math. Teach us to number our days and recognize how few they are. And by the way, for every one of us, we're a day less of life today. You understand that? Okay. You're a day less today than you had yesterday. So whatever your, your amount of time you're going to live, you're a day less today than you were yesterday. You'll be a day less tomorrow. And so it really is few. Teach us to number our days and recognize how few they are. I mean, man, do the, do the, does the time pass quickly? Do you agree with me? I mean, my wife and I, just last week, we celebrated 44 years of marriage, okay? 44 years, okay? I'm not asking for, if you're applauding, applaud for her, if anything, because she's but the point being is that where did that time go, right? How did we get to 44? How did you get there? I mean, we're six years away from having a golden anniversary. I, I'm not supposed to be that old, okay? <laughs> but the point being is that time is, is, it goes by rapidly. Teach us to number our days and recognize how few they are. Help us. Notice this. Read the last question, last sentence with me. Help us to. Help us to do what? Spend them as we should. That, I would, I would submit to you, we might even be able to change that phrase, not just spend them, but because it says spend them as we should, I don't think we would violate the scriptures at all by saying, help us to invest them wisely. 
In fact, let's go to the New Testament because it comes up with that very thing, making the most of your time on earth, recognizing and taking advantage of each opportunity and using it with wisdom and diligence because the days are filled with evil. Let's go now to the next major thing. So first thing, if you're going to create space, what do you have to do? Help me out. This is class here. Find the time. Do you have any time available? Probably. Okay. Probably. Okay. Likely. Number two, identify the people. Exactly right. All these are things you and I have to do if we're going to have relationships. We have to identify the people. Now, listen closely. We're called to love everybody. Amen? Everybody. We're called to love everybody. We're called to serve some. We can't serve everybody. I I wish we could, but you can't serve everybody. So you love everybody, but you're only going to be able to serve some with your life, and you're called to commit to a few. Let me break that down for you. Love everybody, serve some, commit to a few. Say it with me. Love everybody, serve some, and commit to a few, okay? Invest in a few. Let's go back over that again. Love everybody, serve some, and commit to a few. Not, I'm going to give this to you. I hope you'll understand where I'm coming from on this. Not everyone in your life is of equal priority. Everyone is of equal value, but not everyone is of equal priority. Okay. You follow me on this? Not everybody is of equal value, but not everyone is of equal priority. There's what we might call a concentric circle of relationships, the people that are closest to you, And then obviously people that work their way out in terms of the periphery of your life. And so you and I have a concentric circle of relationship. Do we love all these people? Absolutely. We love and care for everybody in our world. We can only serve a certain number of people. Can't serve everybody, but God will bring us into relationships where we're called to serve. Uh, That usually happens in the context for Christians and the body of Christ where they're planted. But we can only only commit to a few things. You can't commit to everything. So equal value, but not equal priority. Now, Jesus demonstrated this. When Jesus was on earth, he spent time with the multitudes of people, right? Remember when he fed the 5,000? He was with a whole bunch of people. But you can't, it's kind of hard to have really close relationships with all 5,000 of those. And then according to Scripture, there were 70 disciples that would often follow Jesus around. And so Jesus would spend time not only uh, with the multitudes, but then there would be those times that he was with those 70 disciples. And then out of those 70, there were 12 who were the apostles. Apostles, and so Jesus would spend more time with those twelve. And out of those twelve, there were there were three: Peter, James, and John. Have you ever noticed that sometimes when Jesus would go and do something, he would leave nine of those guys aside. He'd say, "Peter, James, and John, come with me." Why? Because he was training them at a, at a leadership level for more responsibility after he's going to ascend, arise from the dead, and ascend back into heaven. And so there were layers or concentric circles even in Jesus' life. Now, did Jesus loved the multitudes. Did he? Of course he did. Did he love the 70? Of course he did. Did he love the 12? Of course he did. Did he love the three? Of course he did. But then there's one more circle in Jesus' life. That was with his father. Okay. That was a central 
relationship that Jesus had in his life. And so all of these are concentric relationships. Doesn't mean that you exclude certain people from your life, but you have to always, listen closely, you have to always manage the tension of all these different people. I've heard it said before that certain things in life are not problems to solve, they're tensions to manage. So this is not a problem you solve, it's a tension that you're always going to be managing in life. Loving everybody, serving some, committing to a few and some, always managing those tensions because you're human, you only have a certain amount of time and energy, so you have to manage those tension. It's that tension. So you've got to identify the people that you need to really be committed to and then the circles that expand beyond that. Jesus managed disciples, Manage relationship demands on his life. Take a look at this passage. See my time. I'm doing good. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not, did not even have a chance to eat, he, that's Jesus, said to him, come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. Let's stop there for a moment. So Jesus and his disciples, the 12, they've been really busy doing ministry. And I mean, they've not even had time to eat. They were so busy doing ministry. And so Jesus says to his disciples, we need a break. We need to get away from all these people we need some time to recuperate and rest. And I want to spend some time with you 12. Let's get away. Come away by yourselves so that we can get some rest. So what did they do? They went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. And notice what happens. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran, on, on, ran on, uh, on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus was managing tensions right there right? Come on, guys, let's go away and have some rest. And they go away, and the whole crowd shows up at their hotel. Can you imagine that? You planned a great vacation somewhere, and you got all the plans laid out, and then you show up at your vacation, and all your work is there with you. We had so much to do, we thought we'd just come with you. We need, we need you now. Okay. And Jesus is in the situation of managing tensions. What did he do in this situation? He chose to minister to the multitudes, right? So he, 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 he was not saying that the, the disciples weren't important, but he knew in that moment he was managing attention. He was knowing, he was, you never find Jesus being rigid. Jesus was not rigid in the way he lived his life. He managed the tensions of his life. Now, just as there were times that Jesus had to manage this kind of tension, there were times that Jesus would not let anything get in the way of his time, time with his disciples. One of those times was on the, the Thursday evening before he's going to be crucified, and he goes up in the upper room, and he has the Last Supper with them, and notice what else happens. Jesus knew that the Father put all things under his power, that he'd come from God and was returning to God, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his, his what? Get this, his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around. He didn't, he didn't, Jesus never washed the feet of the multitudes. 
But he did wash the feet of his disciples. Why? Because this was a private setting. It was, I want to inv- Jesus was saying, I want to invest in you at a deeper level. And so he manages these tensions in his life. So valuable for us to understand. So what we have to do, first two principles, is find the time and identify the people. Do you know the people that are in the concentric circles of your life? I would encourage you this weekend to go home and draw some circles out and put the names of people in those circles, those that are closest to you that you need to be investing in, everybody we love, some we serve, and a few we commit ourselves to. Let's go to the next one. Are we, are we still together tonight? All Everybody's good? Okay. All right, here we go. Here's the next one. Make it. Come on, say it with me. Make it. Make it rewarding. Make what rewarding? Make it rewarding when you get together with those people. Okay. Just because you have found the time and just because you've identified the people doesn't mean that the time you spend with the people that you want to spend time with it with, creating space for the relationship is going to be rewarded. It's all about what you do with the time when you're together, right? If you're both sitting in the room texting other people that are in the room and you're still technically together, oh, we're spending time together, but you're texting people who are not even in the room with you and you're playing on the phone while you're in that room, are you together? No, you are technically together, but you're not together. And that is not, I promise you, ask my wife wife, that is not a rewarding experience. Not rewarding for anyone. Because what's happening is, is not really happening. We're, we're deceiving ourselves to think, well, I'm in the room with you, so we must be together. I mean, there are four walls around us, okay? We must be together. So here's the question I want to try to answer for you tonight. Find the time. Do you think you have a little bit of time somewhere? Right? We talked about that, right? We kind of did the math. Okay. Identify the people, right? You kind of know some people you need to be investing some time in, right? You kind of have some people in your mind right now. Love everybody. Serve some. Commit to a few. Okay. Now that when you begin to set aside that time, what do you got to do? You know, let me just explain something to you, okay? It really helps me when you talk back, okay? It really helps me. That's just a side note, okay? I'm a teacher, and when I know the students are right there with me, it really does help me. It really does. Uh, amen every now and then is like a bone to a dog. I promise you. That's all it is. So, okay. so make it. Oh, that is so good. Man, I might preach for another hour now. That's awesome. That's great. Okay. So how do you make it rewarding? I'm going to give you eight things. These are on your notes. But I want to walk you through the eight things that will make any experience with another person rewarding. Here we go. Number one, you got to share a positive experience. Notice what kind of experience? A positive. If you share a positive experience with someone, when they walk away from that, what are they going to do? Talk about it. Do you think the washing the disciples' feet was a positive experience? They couldn't believe that Jesus was down there washing their feet. You know how we know about it? They told us about it. It was such a positive experience that they wanted to make sure everybody that followed Jesus knows about it. And I will promise you, when you have a positive experience with your kids, when you have a positive experience with your spouse, when you have a positive experience with a friend, they're going to talk about it. They're going to remember that. See, the most important thing you'll, live, you'll create in life are memories, not money. The most important thing you will leave a person will be your memories, not your money, okay? It's fine to leave money. If you got money, you know, 
leave it. If you don't have anybody to leave it to, see me after service. Okay. Okay. But the most important thing to do in your life is to leave memories, po- positive experiences. I've got to go through these quickly. Engage in a meaningful conversation. What is a meaningful conversation? It means, it means something to someone. This, this is a, another rewarding thing. If you have a good conversation with someone, have you ever walked by and said, well, I really enjoyed talking to, you ever said that before? Why? Because you had a meaningful conversation. It meant something to you. And when it means something to both of you, it means you've shared an experience together. Then the next one, feel, you, you, you have a, a rewarding experience when you feel in an environment understood or appreciated or encouraged by the interaction. If you've been somewhere and you felt like, they really understood me. They got me. Wow, that's amazing. They got who I was, and boy, they really seemed to appreciate something about me, or they, they really encouraged me in that time. That was good. That was rewarding, and so I want to do that again. You know, a lot of times we spend time with people, and the person we spend time, they don't ever want to do it again because it was not very fun. Okay. There's not much to it at all, okay? Next one. Have some fun together. You know, a lot of Christians haven't gotten this point that that they, they think that fun is not biblical. They feel like that every Christian needs to be baptized in pickle juice and carry a frown on their face all the time and always be pointing their finger at somebody to tell them what's wrong in their life. They don't realize that actually you can have fun being a Christian. And by the way, let me say this, you don't have to do what the world does to have fun, okay? You don't have to go do what the world does to have fun. Because they wake up the next morning and usually regret everything they thought they had fun doing the night before, okay? (laughs) But when you're a Christian, you can do a lot of fun things. And so you discover the fun that you can do together with other people. Make your family fun. And then learn something stimulating or refreshing and useful together. Anytime you're learning something, when my wife and I are talking about something stimulating or something we're learning about and we're sharing that time together, there's, there's a reward that goes along with that as well. And then the next one that I'll give you here is let go of tension. This one is the wrong word here. That should be dissension or drama. Nobody has any fun when the room is filled with tension, dissension, or drama. Can I get an amen right there? Okay. It's like, hey, let's get together and fight. That's awesome. Okay. Let's get together and argue. Don't you want to do that? Doesn't that sound like a great evening together? Come on. I'm going to tear you to pieces. I got a lot of things. I've been thinking about it. I really want to say to you, don't you want to spend time with me? No, of course not. So let go of the tension and the dissension and the drama and then pursue shared interests. Make sure you're finding ways to do things that both people enjoy. And the last one I'll give you here, these are just suggestions. Express genuine attention in differing interests. So if I say, you know what, I don't really know much about that that you're talking about, but I, I want to learn what you're learning. Maybe I'm not even interested in, 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 in gardening, but, but, if, but if you like gardening and it's something you're passionate about, then when I show you that I'm interested in what you're interested in, then there's a reward that comes along with that. The point I'm making here is that you, you, you need to find the time, you need to identify the people, and then you need to set those times and make it rewarding. It's your job to make it rewarding. Let me give you the last one. We'll be done here tonight. Don't overdo it. We've been talking about relationship space, but relationship space involves, you ready for this? Profound. 
together. What's the other word? Relationship space is managing the tension as well between how much time do we spend together and how do we need to spend some time apart because creating relationship space doesn't mean that you suffocate somebody. Okay. And people are different when it comes to these needs, and, and you have to determine that in the relationships of your life, but you have to manage it. Here's the goal of relationship growth. Here's a, here's a sort of a guide for you. What you want, I'll give you two extremes of this. The, the, the independent person says, I don't need you. I can do just fine without you. And the overdependent person says, I can't, I can't live without you. I don't need you. I can't live without you. You've got to be with me all the time. I don't want to be with you all the time. <laughs> You've got to have the together and you have to have the apart because the goal here is to be, this is maturity. Either side of this is immaturity. What I want you, either side of these are immature, emotionally immature people. If I can't relate to people and, and connect with people and I just want to do my own thing all the time, I'm emotionally, spiritually immature. If I have to have people around me all the time to validate my worth and to make me feel like I'm somebody and something, then I'm emotionally immature. But if I can get to that place where I value people, I connect with the right people and we blend these together, then what's happening is that there's an interdependence that occurs where I'm appropriately connected with the people around me. Find the middle ground. Everyone say that with me. Find the middle ground. And it's, the middle is different for all relationships. Don't think that there's one middle, okay? The middle is different. Some kids, if you, have, if you have multiple kids in your family, some kids don't need a lot of time. They just need a little bit of quality time. They just thrive on a little bit of quality. Other kids, man, you better spend some time with them, and you, may multi you need to multiply far more than the other one because they're a different personality. And so it doesn't make them bad. It just makes them different. And so you have to know the difference in who they are and, and, and manage that time and manage that well. Last verse of Scripture kind of emphasizes this whole idea of don't overdo it. Is Proverbs 25, 17. Don't wear out your welcome by staying too long, by hanging around too much at the home of your friends. They may get fed up with always having you there and wish you hadn't come, okay? <laughs> Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity we've had this weekend to study your word. We're grateful for the word of God and how it speaks to our hearts and speaks to our lives. So much practicality in your word and it guides us and directs us in how we are to think and how we are to live. And I pray that something that's been said in this message would settle deep into our hearts, would help us to become relational people, Lord. Help us to love everybody. Lord, let love be in our heart to every person that we come in contact with. Lord, not just a natural love, but the love of God. Show us the places where we are to serve. So show us our serving field, though, God, that we'll be serving where you want us to serve. We can't serve everywhere, but you do call us to serve somewhere. And then, Lord, show us the people that you want us to commit to and invest in and build deeper relationships with. Help us to find that time and help us to identify those people and show us how to make it rewarding, Lord, and help us to manage the tension so we don't overdo it with independence or, 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 or over-dependence. 
Lord, work these things in our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit. For that, we thank you in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. And you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus. I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.